Howdy, howdy, do who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 309. Yeah. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. For now, for this moment, I am the doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective view, more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire and do that. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. And not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes. And it's about time that I did something about that. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Hey, 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 Doctor Who fans. Welcome back to another week, another episode of The Big Blue Box. It's good to have you here. Uh, hope you've all had a cracking week and you've managed to do something Doctor, Doctor Who, Who related. Yeah. Indeed, you welcome back. It's good to have you here for another week. You can find us on any podcast app that you listen to your podcast on. Just do a search for the Big Blue Box or nip over to the website, bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can find links off to those apps there. Plus, we're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, links on the website. We have a free Discord server. Uh, a link on the website to that as well. And nip over and sign up and hang out with Doctor Who fans there. And sign up to and subscribe to the YouTube channel for the live streams, which, which will be back this Saturday. My co-host is here as always, Mr. Adam, Mr. Geek's Handbag. You can find him on YouTube as well, under the Geek's Handbag. Go and check out all of that stuff. How are you doing, buddy? You all good? Good morning. Yes, I'm very good. Thank you. Very yeah, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been looking forward to this one, to Legopolis, what we're doing today. I'm, uh, yeah, this has been one that I've been wanting to do for a long time, so I'm raring to go on this review. Yes, Logopolis. It's going to be an interesting one. <laughs> Logopolis, to go yeah. through that, yes. <laughs> Dude, we had some, uh, some good news this week. A certain event is coming back, which I know you're oh, excited for, right? Yeah, I'm delighted. So, um, you know, with everything being so uncertain at the minute, we didn't know where we were going with events and things. And uh, the BFI have announced they're going to be doing an event uh, showing Dragon Fire. So that's going to be really cool. Uh, I think it's June or July. I can't remember now. So, yeah, so it's good. The BFI Doctor events are kicking off again. And um, 
Oh, yeah, I mean, Dragonfire, not one of my favourite stories, but I love the McCoy era, and I just think um, those events are so good. So I'm going to desperately try and get a ticket for it. I think it's going to be really difficult, because I'd imagine... Do you think they're going to sort of socially distance the the, the theatres? Or, you know, because it's, it's, it's quite hard to get tickets normally. They, not, they normally sell out really quickly. But I'm thinking if they're also adding to that social distancing, the seats, is it going to be really difficult to get a ticket? I don't know, but... Anyway, great news. I'm really pleased they've started up again. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Good, good news. Yeah, I think it's in June. I think it's... Um, yeah, I can't go, unfortunately. You can't go? No. How come? No, because it's my birthday weekend sort of stuff oh. that I've got planned to do that weekend. It's uh, Yeah, it's on the 12th of June. 12th of June, there you go. Yeah, it's my B-day a few days <laughs> before, so I'm busy that weekend, unfortunately. But yeah, tickets go on sale... If you're a member, I think it's early May, like the 3rd or 4th of May, so yeah. soon. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, should be good, dude. The old BFI events, they're always always good. They are good. I don't know if they, they sometimes have some of the, you know, they normally have like a discussion panel, um, some of the stars from the show. I don't know if like Sophie or Bonnie or even Sylve might turn up, um, but they normally have something, you know, before and after, and they show you little exclusive clips from the upcoming because this is all to sort of celebrate the season 24 Blu-ray set that's coming out. So they'll show you a few exclusive little clips. And yeah, those events are brilliant. So yeah, hopefully, I'm really sad you can't be there, mate. Well, that would have been the perfect birthday celebration. Well, that would have been a, a major mashup. It would have been good. Yeah, it would yeah. have been very good. Yeah. So can you, just bring, can you just bring all the guys you're meeting up with? Come on, come on down to the BFI, to, that, <laughs> to the bar. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I'm not going to be in London. Well, if I was in London, dude, uh, then defo. I would have defo just come over. Yeah. Even if I wasn't at the event, I would have just come over uh, to the bar and whatnot. But yeah, sad times. But it will be an interesting one to watch as well, Dragonfire, because uh, yeah, it's always... It, it's We have reviewed it, haven't we? Let me just make sure I'm not going to give away yeah, any spoilers. Yeah, we did. I can't remember when. But. Yeah, but Dragonfire is a weird one, isn't it? Because um, yeah, back in episode 194, we did it. Because it crosses that line, doesn't it? With uh, um, it's, it's it's got that weird. It's got a weird fact. It's got like kind of eighties weirdness to it to a degree, mm. but at the same time, it's still got that sort of early McCoy um, stuff. Yeah, with, you know, before they kicked off, sort of midway through series twenty-five, when they started to go down the slightly darker route with him, mm. uh, it's got that early kind of goofy. Um, McCoy, isn't it? Which is really cool. I just want to see the face melt on the big screen. <laughs> you know, Kane's face melt. That free. I still to this day can't believe they did that uh, for the time it was shown. But yeah, no, it's that's really good. It's going to be a great event. So yeah, definitely going to try and get a ticket for that. I haven't done much else uh, this week really. I listened to Dalek Universe One, but the the Tenant, you know, the Tenant one, not the prequel, uh, which was very good. And uh, being a Tenant fan. Mm-hmm. yourself i really recommend it um really good fun uh, nice twist in the middle for part two i wondered what it was like one of those what's going on moments um <laughs> so yeah they've really sort of put some effort into it um and i'm looking forward to the second box set but that has been pretty much it for me oh, cool. this week cool, yeah cool. oh i did yeah i haven't been up to much other than that so uh other than cracking through at logopolis uh, i was going to watch the features um but i remember watching those not super recently but I remember them anyway. I wasn't going to watch the the features, but I watched this two and two. I don't know about you, but 
Yeah, no, I actually yeah. watched it two and two. I did watch the features because I there's some of my favourite features actually. So there's the raw studio footage of Tom, uh, which amazes me they've still got all that, and I love it. So you get to see really raw studio footage of Tom doing filming his regeneration scene, uh, the Watcher coming in, then Davidson coming in. It's it's really fascinating to watch and just to see the zone that Tom's in. He's really subdued and quiet, and then he's sort of a bit jokey. It's it's fascinating, and there's um some great behind the scenes documentaries on the Legopolis disc. So I, I watch those as well. I really, really like, really enjoy them because they, you know, they talk about the change and what was going on in behind the scenes, really good documentaries on this one. So yeah, I, I gave them a watch as well. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Okay. Well, without further ado, then we have no news to talk about this week. No, no there was news. a couple of little bits knocking around, but nothing really worthy to talk about. John Bishop getting a telling off that story seems to be coming back into the news for some reason. <laughs> which is really weird. And just very quickly, John Barrowman and David Bradley have filmed little cameos for the upcoming Time Fracture theatrical oh, yes. experience thing. So we don't know anything about it. It's just some photos that were put out um, on the Twitter feed from those guys. But other than that, no other news really worthy to talk about, dude, in any great detail. So we shall crack on. Let's do it. What's on for review this week, buddy? Yeah, so it's, it's the end of the Tom Baker month and it's the end of the Tom Baker era, but the moment has been prepared for, <laughs> it is, of course, Legopolis. trailer oh. that one. Oh tom yeah great trailer that <laughs> oh tom <laughs> oh no so legopolis was first Logo- legopolis legobo mm. legopolis was first broadcast back in the 28th of february part one went out on the 28th of february and then finished up it's a four-parter finished up uh, four weeks later on the 21st of march in 1981 it was directed by peter grimwade written by christopher bidmead and overseen by John Nathan Turner. Stars Tom Baker, obviously, as the Doctor, with Matthew Waterhouse, Sarah Sutton and Jeanette Fielding, with about five or six supporting cast members. And the synopsis for this one is, the Doctor goes to Legopolis to repair the TARDIS's chameleon circuit, not knowing that a shadowy Watcher is spying on him. Meanwhile, his old enemy, the Master, has only recently gained secure longevity by possessing the body of Tremus and revels in his safety uh, as he plans uh, he has plans of his own uh, for the planet of mathematicians legopolis and a plan that could spell doom for the entire universe the master's plan could rock legopolis the keystone of all life uh, 
Could this mean the unravelling of the casual nexus and the end of the universe itself? The Doctor must pit his wits against the Master in a desperate battle to thwart his plans, but he is aware that he that this might be a fight which could easily spell the end of his life. Serious Ooh, stuff. Really serious stuff, yeah. Indeedy. Okay, dude. Now that we've wiped away the initial tears, mm. what are your thoughts on uh, Logopolis? <laughs> Logopolis. I, I can barely contain my excitement. I absolutely <laughs> love this story. I love it to bits. It's one of my favourite Doctor Who's. And not because necessarily it's the best story, because if you start to look too closely at a lot of the stuff that happens in it, it, it a lot of it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I'm well aware of that. But uh, it's one of my earliest memories of Doctor Who. Um, I've probably watched this more than uh, any other Doctor Who. I, I just never tire of watching it. Um, it sounds quite sort of boring on paper i think i don't know but something about it just i just really enjoy it um the tardis within a tardis uh the tardis the tardis team coming together with nissa adric and and tegan um aunt vanessa <laughs> uh the master logopolis itself um there's just something about the story and the music as well i think i think the music's brilliant in this uh, the you know, it's so funky. Um, and of course, it's Tom's last story, so it's it's you know, it's a regeneration story, um, which I think is always they're always important, aren't they, to Doctor Who fan? A regeneration story, and bearing in mind that you know, so what year was this 81? Yeah, yeah, so I was six, I was six when I watched this, and uh, you know, there was no sort of DVDs or iPlayer when I was six, so. I remembered the Watcher, I remembered the TARDIS, I remembered the Cloister Rooms. Those images stuck in my mind for years. And I, I think it's, you know, really got me into Doc 2. I was fascinated by this, uh, by what the, the images I saw on screen. You know, I'll probably, I wouldn't have understood the story at six. I mean, I, I probably just, but something about this. And the, the thing that I remember most as a kid was the shrinking TARDIS. I can clearly see that. That image just stuck in my mind so clearly of the Doctor in the Shrinking TARDIS. So those images stuck in my mind all those years later, you know, I bought the VHS, watched it again, fell in love with it. Then you get the DVDs, then you get to see all the extras, um, you know, going on years. And I've just fallen in love with it again and again and again every time I watch it because um, something about it really stuck with me as a kid. It really did, and I just love it. So despite all its faults, despite some of the craziness of what's going on, like the Doctor trying to flood the TARDIS, which is absolutely ridiculous. The Master just seems to be... I don't know what the Master's doing for the first two episodes. He keeps materialising in different parts of the TARDIS and doing a manic laugh and then disappearing. I mean, there are there are so many things that don't make sense in it, but um, I don't care. I, just, I could watch this over and over again. I love it. I think it's a great end to Tom's era. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Uh, don't you dare. <laughs> Ryan Sinclair, don't you dare. <laughs> um You better like it, or this is this is the end of the po- this is the end <laughs> of the Blue Box podcast. Not just not just the world. <laughs> um I do like it. Yes. I do like it, but I can't help but feel disappointed. Oh, no. 
in a big way with Legopolis. Really? Yeah. If I'm being a hundred percent honest, I I do like no, it. No, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's I, be honest. Yeah, I do like it. It's a it's a very cool bit of classic who defo. I just feel that it's probably one of the most underwhelming uh, kind of missed opportunities we've ever seen for a Doctor's departure in Doctor Who. How come? Yeah, because if you think about, I don't know, if you think about at this point in time, we're in the early 80s now and Tom's been the Doctor for quite a long time at this point. Seven years, I think yeah. it was, yeah. After seven years as being the Doctor, this is your exit. I'm he not surprised from a satellite. He falls from a, a space station dish. Yeah, but I'm not no, surprised not that. Yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm really not surprised that Tom had the hump and was was angry a lot of the time. Because I, I know he was angry because he was going and didn't want to really go. Mm. But from his point of view, you can absolutely see why he was. Uh, he had the hump because. Um, yeah, I just feel because if you think about the some of the 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 middle of Tom's run up to the beginning of it and so on, and you know when we get into um, when we get into series uh, fourteen and fifteen especially, and you know before we get onto series sixteen, which is the key to time for me, that's the turning point really in Tom's run. So mm. when the key to time starts with the Rybus operation there seems to be a bit of a shift in how Tom is as the doctor. Yeah, it definitely run. is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Previous to that point, especially, especially series 13 and 14, he's just absolutely on fire, isn't he? As we know, mm. as the doctor. Mm. So I feel like by the time we get to Logopolis, just all of the spark and fun and everything has just been sucked out of the show. And we just, we just mm. end up with this, with this ending for the for the longest running doctor at that point uh we just end up with this ending that's like it's just really melancholy and down in the dumps and stuff and at the end it's oh no i'd hate i hate bashing it but at the end where he's just laying on the grass and uh and it's a beautiful moment from a certain point of view and the music's lovely and everything and yeah and i love the whole doctor you know, re, re, recaps yeah. all of that Got stuff. Pay for this, yeah. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, when it ends, I'm just like, oh. I just, uh, you know, I feel like I, I want to go and get in the bath and just cry for a little while. And I think <laughs> it's a bit downbeat, is it for you? Honestly, mate. Yeah. One, once this one's ended, I just honestly feel like, right, I need to go and watch some cartoons or something, or I need to go and you know, go and watch some stand-up comedy or something like that, because, mate, at the end of it, this is, to me, this is not how you send off the, arguably, the most popular, longest-running Doctor in, in Classic Heroes. But even at this point, when we're, you know, Pertwee had a, had a, had a fairly decent run, uh, as did Hartnell and so on, but this is like the height of, like, Classic Doctor Who. This is, so, yeah, I, I do like it. It's not, it's not a bad watch but I find it a combination of incredibly just, oh God, mate, I hate saying it. Say I, it. I, I find it just a combination of a bit of boredom, complete and unnecessary techno babble throughout the entire thing. There is a lot of techno babble. I'll give you that. Yeah. And also the ending, mate, I was 
Tom, in my opinion, Tom's doctor should have gone out in all sorts of exciting. There's loads of ways they could have sent him out. To me, this is just even just the direction. That's um, when they came on to that final scene, which we'll come on to in a bit more detail, I'm sure. But even when we came up to when we get to the the last bit, Pete, all Peter Grimwade had to say was just lay down there. There's a bit of grass there, a bit of fake grass, just lay down. <laughs> and then, but there's nothing to it. It's just, and I know sometimes simple is beautiful. I, I get that. But I don't know, mate. This this should have been like a belter of a of a regen story, but it ends up being just, I just want to cry for a little while afterwards. I was, I was going to say, you talk about the direction in that scene. I, I wonder if, because um, <laughs> when you watch the footage, the behind the scenes footage, um, Tom is just... Well, at the start, he's just hardly speaking. He just looks really deep in thought. He's laying on the floor and you think, gosh, you know, what's going through his mind? And then they sort of start setting up the scenes to like um, Matthew, Sarah and Janet sit around him ready to set up the shot. And all the director says to Tom is, Tom, could you just put your arm up and and beckon the watcher? Tom explodes. Beckon? I don't know anything about a beckon. Does he insist on me doing a beckon? He's getting really cross and it's like, (laughs) all he's asked you to do is... So he probably just thought, oh, just... Let him lie there. I'll, I'll let's just do. Let's just get this over with, because it you can feel the tension in the room, even just watching that footage. Because like, there's lots of nervous laughter from Matthew, Sarah, and Janet. Tom sort of makes a joke at the start, something about oh, you don't get this on the radio, and <laughs> but he's really yeah. I mean, he's he's in a he's not in a good place. I don't think. I think he's he's laid there thinking well, this is it, I'm off, where am I going? And I think um, he famously said in an interview, didn't he, when, when they asked what he was going to do next, he said, well, I'm going into oblivion. And that's <laughs> like, so I don't know if he even had a job lined up. I think he went on to do some theatre after this as Oscar Wilde or something. But yeah, I don't know. The tension in that scene is quite tense. Um, so maybe the director had ideas. But having said that, Peter Grimwade, I think, from what I understand about him, the director was quite, um, I wouldn't say forceful, but I don't think he was one for sort of, I think he might have been a good match for Tom in, in terms of just getting what he wanted. So I don't know. I Just while we're talking about him, I, I actually quite like the. Well, I really like the direction in this. I think there's some, I think Peter Greenway does a really good job. I, I really like that craning, you know, when the music starts, the dee, 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 and the crane shot oh, okay. comes down onto the doctor on the grass. I really love that. But I also like bits like, so when Tegan and Aunt Vanessa first step inside the TARDIS, we get a quite an unusual shot. So the camera's obviously in the TARDIS prop. So you see them open the door and sort of look in. And I like that because you can't see what they are seeing. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to use your imagination. And um, so a lot of this stuff, I think, is is what grabbed me as a kid because I there are so many things that fascinate me about the story, which is what I think got me into Doctor Who, like the TARDIS itself. You know, I remember going and turning my parents' wardrobe into a TARDIS, like putting up this black sellotape to make the police box sign, and they went ballistic. Um, so, so it's just <laughs> things like that. The imagery in this just really captured me. The Watcher. I mean, I, what is the Watcher? I love that that idea that the you know time is being distorted, so the Doctor's future self is kind of created this strange you know character that's the doctor sees and the doctor knows who it is and you don't know i mean i love all that stuff um but i think the direction's pretty good i would say i i think i know what you mean 
about that end scene. I, I guess he is just laid on the floor, but I don't know. I also just think it, the, the whole season, although it is a bit gloomy, I kind of like the fact it's gone down that route. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a bit of a depressive. I don't know. Because <laughs> Tom's Doctor is so light and fun. Like you said, you think of Key to Time. It is, there is a lot of comedy stuff in that era, which is what I don't particularly like. Although, having rewatched it, reviewed it with you recently, it, it, it's actually better than I remember. So... I don't know. It's a bit like the Seventh Doctor. I kind of like the fact the Fourth Doctor goes down this route of getting a bit darker and he's getting towards the end and he's got the darker costume and it's all a little bit, you know, gloomy. Yeah, and and I get that. And and I'm not saying that I think his regeneration should be thousands of pounds worth of visual effects and there should be, he should be jumping through explosions and, Mm. and, you know, I'm not saying that. It's just... Uh, yeah, it just feels like they uh, they had an opportunity, I guess, to really ramp up the end of his character of that incarnation, should I say, mm. and really kind of drive a, in a real cool way into the Davison era, but it doesn't really happen. It's um, I, I don't know. I, I do I do understand, and I think there'll be a lot of people listening that that totally agree with you, and I I think maybe the nostalgia side of this sort of tints my vision a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I don't so want to take, think, yeah, I don't yeah. want to take away if, you know, if this is like, if you, if you absolutely love this one and I totally I do. get that. Dude, I, I genuinely when, do. Yeah. Cause I can, cause I wasn't old enough to watch this when it went out. I was only no. one when this went out, but I can imagine for you being six or seven, being absolutely enthralled by it and, and loving, you, you know, that early, this is like your early, one of your I earliest it, memories, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, people was asked, what's the first Doctor you ever saw? And I say Legopolis, but then again, I do remember the, the Traken, um, the, the Melka. So I, I, when I say remember, I don't remember the story. Like, mm-hmm. I was six. I don't remember the story, but I could remember for years, you know, when we moved house and stuff. And I, I just have very clear images from stuff that I saw as a kid. And a lot of it is from this story. Uh, so it's like I said, the cloister rooms and all that. Um, and just the TARDIS and the TARDIS walls and to know things just stick in your head and and the shrinking TARDIS, you know, a lot of this story just stuck in my head for years until I finally got to rewatch it. Um, when the, when the VHS came out, I mean, God, that was so, it was so amazing for me. You know what it's like when you've sort of, you, you would love to rewatch something but you can't for years. And then you suddenly it's there and you're like, Oh, is this going to be, you know, as good as I remember, is that going to be how I remembered it? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's, yeah, there's just so much about it. I like, um, see, I like that. I, I know what you're saying about the end, but the doctor and the master, they do have a good, I wouldn't say sort of, they're not pitted against each other because they have to work together. And again, I, I like that, even though the master constantly double crosses the doctor, <laughs> like, I, I think it's a really there's a real playfulness between the Doctor and the Master in this, but mainly on the Master side. So the Doctor's going to explain, you know, stuff, going to explain why they're there. The Master just wants to shoot the guys. He's like, "Oh, just shoot them, Doctor. Let's get on with it." <laughs> so I love all this stuff. The two sides of the good and the bad working together, I think, is really fun in this. But, but yeah, there's probably a lot of people out there like you to find the actual way the Fourth Doctor goes a little bit underwhelming. But I. I, I like it. I, I don't know. There's something about it I really like. I think it's the yeah, flashback yeah. clips as well. Oh, they're cool. I love, I yeah. love it when they do stuff like that. Yeah, they are cool. Yeah. And there are some, there are some really, really good uh, elements to the story, though. 
So the Watcher as a character I find really cool because... Yeah, I love the Watcher. For the majority of the times when you see him on screen, as well as the obvious thing about being mysterious and not knowing who he is and what he's about, the whole the whole thing just... Just momentarily while he's on screen, there's this really cool little musical theme Ooh. when he's on screen and uh, the, the story just almost comes to a stop when he when he's there, like... Not so much at the beginning when they see him on the other side of the motorway, whatever it was, like yeah, yeah. the M4 or something, the M6, whatever it is. But whenever, um, oh, apparently it was the A413. It's near Denham, isn't it? Yeah, Amersham Road, Denham, yeah. So apparently, mm-hmm. so those early scenes where he's just kind of lurking in the background, they still had that little musical cue, but the story's going on. But from the moment where the doctor incorrectly lands the TARDIS on a boat instead of under the under the Thames. You know, when the watcher actually interacts with somebody and he sort of beckons him up and and from those points and then it happens again later on in the TARDIS where he beckons Adric over. And uh but they they never tell you what what's been said though. They keep it under lock and key and I love that. So I think even Nissa yeah. says to Adric, Well what did he say to you? And Adric's a little bit cryptic about it. He doesn't want to you can tell he's stunned by what he's heard. And he's processing it, but he doesn't he doesn't reveal to the viewer what's just happened. And it's not until the very end, isn't it, where is it Adric that says uh, it was the Nissa. doctor or oh, it was the doctor all along or something. Yeah. So then we get that thing and so even even then when she says that, it's still not a hundred percent clear why it's the doctor and why he's here. But it does give you a sense of, oh, okay, this is the whole, you know, universe being distorted and time and stuff. And, yeah. I, I've I've ne- I've never really understood the character of the Watcher. I, I'll be honest. Even watching this for goodness knows hundredth time yesterday, because I didn't really need to rewatch this. <laughs> I've watched it so. Long. But I thought, no, you know, when we review stuff, I, I do have a sort of different head on. I'm like Wurzel. I put my review head on and I try and find things in it, good and bad, even if it's a story like this that I love. But I still don't really understand how the Watcher's the Doctor. Um, the only reason I said about the time distort and stuff is because I think Christopher Bidmead mentions it in the making of, and I thought, oh, okay, is it something like that? Is it? So I, I don't really think, I, I think that's another part of the story. It doesn't really make sense or doesn't get explained very well. Um, but I, it doesn't bother me because I like the mystery of the watcher. Mm. And, um, I, I'm just thinking about you saying about them standing on the other side of the motorway in that field, um, Margaret or Margot, oh, I've forgotten her name. One of the one of the sort of um, producers on the show, or whatever, said that they she hadn't got permission to film in that field, and for years she was worried that someone was going to see it and come after her. Uh, you know, because she just went, "Go and stand in that field, and we'll get this shot." And he was like, "All right then." <laughs> but yeah, she said they didn't have permission to film there. But yeah, Margot Hayho. Margot Hayho, that's yeah. it. Yes, yeah. She, so. <laughs> but I, I just really like the character watcher. I think it's the mystery that I like. It's uh, I never want it explained as well. Like if this was Moffat, as much as I love the Moff, <laughs> if this was Moffat, we'd yeah. have, wouldn't we? We'd have full explanation uh, of, of, of what who he is. But no, leave the mystery there. It's much better like that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, no, he is a cool character, the Watcher for sure. Uh, what did you think to Nissa making a, a, a comeback as a proper companion? I guess from this point onwards. Because the Watcher grabs her from Trakan and yeah. pops her over to Legopolis. So I'm kind of in two minds about Nyssa as a companion. I think she's cool. I do think she's cool to, on, on one hand. 
But the other, the other, and this is what leads into what I was saying about not so much the fun coming out of the show, but there doesn't seem to be much fire in any of the performances, mostly. But so there's a mm. scene where after the master has put Nissa under some kind of trance, I guess, and he's put the bracelet on. Later on, even when she's the bracelet's not on and she's herself, she react the way that she reacts. So, so she basically says, "You killed my father." And his reply is simply yes, but you know his body remains useful. Or something. Yeah, and she doesn't say anything. She just that's it. That that's the end of that. You know, she, mm-hmm. she finally comes to the, the. You know, it's the because even when she sees him earlier on in this in the story when he's in one of the little alcoves, he's just kind of sat there on the little stool and he looks nothing like Tremus. You know, the hair's no, gone, the beard's gone. Changed. But she's like, father. You know, it's this kind of weird reunion. Yeah. And then later on, when the the penny drops, like you know, you killed him, you'd expect her to kick to, off, to kick off, yeah, or do something. But the master just says, "Yeah," and then that's it. The scene carries on. So I find Nissa to be really sidelined a lot, even though she's in it a few times. Mm. She's really, really sidelined. Even Tegan, you know, the new kid on the block, has more lines and gets more to do. So yeah, yeah, I'm having two minds about Nissa. I thought it was odd. I mean, I've, I've, that is one bit of the story I've always thought was a bit strange. It's the way she's just suddenly on Legopolis. And I get that the, the watch has brought her there somehow, but it is kind of skipped over in it. Um, she's just there, isn't she? She's like, Adric, oh, Nissa, you're here. It's like she's got the bus. You know, oh, I've just caught the bus over to Legopolis from a truck. And it, it does seem a little bit, again, it, you know, if you, if you start to dissect this story, there are lots of things like that that are just a little bit, what's that about um same with the master putting the bracelet on this <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous he only uses it for one little scene where he tries to get her to kill adric well why does if he he's got a blimmin tissue compression eliminator why does <laughs> why does he need to put a bracelet on this to strangle adric he could just shoot him <laughs> or shrink him so there, there's loads of little things like that that are, are clearly there just to sort of pad out the story and mm. add a bit of drama to it. But um, I guess I'm, I, I don't know, because I love this so much, I think I'm just very forgiving with stuff like that, you know. But there is quite a few things in this story like that that don't really add up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, she, I know what you mean. She should have kicked off. It's a bit like when the Doctor tells Tegan about Aunt Vanessa. It's over in a flash <laughs> it like takes her a second to work out that he's talking about Aunt Vanessa being dead. And then he kind of just turns around, shoves her in a corner, and that's it. That's it I don't yeah. think we ever mention Aunt Vanessa again. Um, <laughs> and she's a funny old bird as well, Aunt Vanessa. Oh, I love Aunt <laughs> Vanessa. I think she's great. She's where's that night, Aaron? Uh, she's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> she see that all that stuff in episode one I think is is great. You know, the introduction of Tegan and these silly expressions they've given her which i think they phase out like tegan keeps saying stuff like oh rabbits and (laughs) hell's teeth vanessa she keeps coming out with these weird phrases which i don't recall her doing later on and i could be wrong but no i don't don't remember tegan having these catchphrases like that um but yeah all that stuff's quite fun i think and i love all the location stuff Mm -hmm. i mean i think that's the other thing reason i can enjoy watching this on repeat is uh you know, all the location. The, the bit where the TARDIS lands on the boat is beautiful, isn't it? It's got like mm. the reflection of the water and the watcher on the bridge and That's even the cool motorway stuff, actually. which is grim and wet and damp. It, I don't know. So it just all looks great, I think. No, I agree, man. Yeah, the location yeah, stuff is pretty sweet. Yeah, especially that oh, bit on the boat. Yeah, it's cool. 
the bit of the boat and also the end. So when they're running, you know, the very sort of last episode, the TARDIS is in the background. And I don't know if it's just luck or if, the you know, they, they purposely shot it like that, but the sun is shining through the TARDIS windows and it just looks really chunky in the background and the windows are all lit up and the doctor's running away from it. And it's like, it, it's, you know, the location stuff looks fantastic mm-hmm. in this. Um, I, I didn't realise for years that that, that dish, that the radio dish was a, a model. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, a lot of people probably spotted it straight away, <laughs> but I think, so they've put it close to the camera, haven't they? Mm-hmm. So that it looks like it's in the background. <laughs> but I thought that was real for years. I thought it was a real place. I thought that dish was actually there. Oh yeah, yeah, so it's just think, a bit of a forced perspective, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So I think all that stuff looks looks really good. But yeah, what do you think to Tegan though? So new companion, new introduction to Tegan. Oh, she's Tegan, feisty, yeah. and she's not having a knight errant come and save her. She's changing that wheel. Actually, you know, she's quite feisty, hmm. and you know she's going to get stuff done. So what do you reckon to Tegan? Yeah, to be honest with you, dude, I think she's. I, th- I think the story would be a lot worse off without if we didn't have Tegan introduced in in this story, mm-hmm. because she really does provide a little bit of fire in some yes. of those scenes, which is, in my opinion, desperately needed in this story, because it's already gloom and doom to the nth degree. So mm-hmm. when you have someone like Tegan that just explodes every now and then, even if she gets cut down pretty quick, <laughs> um, her rants don't last for too long, but those little short bursts of... Uh, of annoyance and stuff like that. It's it's so needed, man. It's really needed in this story because without that, what would you have? I mean, you'd have the doctor kind of shouts his way through two scenes in all of the four parts, maybe mm-hmm. the master's very cool and collected. He's got that quiet, sinister vibe to him. He's doing that laugh. Ha ha. Oh, we ha. have that again. Don't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite a lot. Yeah. Especially in episode one and two. You what know when doing uh, in episode one, so I sat there thinking, <laughs> now I know I like this, but what is the master actually doing? Yeah, you know when he's zapping some of the uh, the the citizens of of Legopolis into the miniature. You know, he's every time he does it, you have that. And I think even the cliffhanger, isn't it? One of the cliffhangers, it's just the camera on him, and he's got that little chuckle. Uh, is it episode one or two? I can't remember. I think it's episode one There's, or two. Yeah, actually, there's this. Well, you talk about it. There is a strange cliffhanger, isn't there? To I think it's episode one or two. Whether it's when he shrunk Aunt Vanessa and the policeman, and the doctor's kind of getting the rap for it, and um, and and, and the police was like, "Who are you responsible for this?" And there's two like little action men dolls oh, sat yeah. in the car. I think that's a really odd <laughs> cliffhanger. I mean, I, I totally get what they're trying to do, but I don't know. It doesn't really work. That's episode like, one. The end of um. Oh, mate, <laughs> that's a bit clumsy, that bit. It's uh, The doctor sort of yells over his shoulder, a distraction, and then yeah. Adric pretends to nick the bike, and then he, no, he pretends to, he's fallen off the bike, doesn't he? Oh, that is hilarious. Ow, ow. ow. And yeah, then they, the uh, then policemen are no good, are they? Because the doctor and Adric basically just stroll past them straight into the TARDIS, and off they go. There's no, <laughs> They're not very quick on their feet. <laughs> no, definitely. And also, you know when they finally open the TARDIS door and it's just... A police box. Oh, I don't know, yeah. little bits like that I love. And it reminds me a bit of um, Father's Day when, you remember when Chris opened the TARDIS but the Reapers were there and it was just a police box. Oh, I, don't yeah. know if that's, yeah. I don't know if that's like um, sort of an homage to it, if you like. But I thought that was cool. So you actually get to see inside the, the, the rackety old TARDIS prop, which mm. um, 
so they've obviously dug a couple of TARDIS props out of storage, haven't they? So we, we actually get to see a couple of different TARDIS props in this, which um, if you watch the behind-the-scenes stuff, when they're wheeling it into the lay-by, is ra- <laughs> rattling around, it's swaying. and it, I mean, I really feel for Matthew Waterhouse having to get up on the roof of one of them because they're... It looks so unsafe. It looks like you could push it over with a, one finger. Mm-hmm. Um, the old TARDIS props just look battered to hell, don't they? And Clayton Hickman loves this story because there are so many little anomalies that he can't work out. Like the first TARDIS we see with the police were right at the beginning. The door has got a black sign saying pull to open. And the key TARDIS key lock is on the right-hand side door. And it's suddenly... Later on, it's the TARDIS sign is blue and all faded, and the key locks changed to the other side. And there's, I don't know, so many things that Clayton Hickman cannot work out how this has happened during production. He's like, okay, so did they film this on a different day? What is this prop? And so they've basically just got loads of different TARDIS bits, made a couple of TARDIS props the best they can, and they, yeah, they just look like they're about to fall down. Mm. Well, that's the, uh, we have that quite often, don't we? Especially mm. through Pertwee's era. I think they, they started to tighten the bolts up a little bit as we went through sort of in the latter part of Davison's era. Yeah, it looks like a bit more chunky, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah. It looks like it's not good. Like you said, if you lean on it, the whole thing's just going to collapse like it's made and of paper. And you can hear the door creak. You know, when Adric goes in <laughs> when he's mucking about with the lock, it's all creaky and yeah. I bet it's stank in there as well. It looks... oh. Yeah, she gets some some UB40 on that door. They definitely definitely (laughs) needed it. (laughs) But uh, going back to Tegan. um, Tegan, yeah. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I think she's a a cool, she's definitely needed in my, I think, in this story. And I think, um, yeah, I think Jeanette Fielding, she kind of played this uh, just straight out the gate, just a strong, you know, there's a good reason why she feisty. was given the nickname, you know, Mouth on Legs. She mm. had just had this no-nonsense, uh, strong feistiness, which is which is cool because as we go into Davison's era, we have the the well-known sort of crowded TARDIS for a while. So it's kind of okay in a way because Nissa's more the quiet type, isn't she? She's more the... She processes things quieter, a bit more calmer, whereas Tegan just blows up. and mm. So you've got that dynamic and then you've just got poor Adric who's... Yeah, not really sure what the bloody hell he's doing uh, <laughs> to some degree. But yeah, I like I like Jeanette Fielding. I think she's good. And she's solid gold, man, on the behind, uh, on the the Blu-ray collection box sets. The um, Yes, the making of. The making of, you know, uh, was it on the uh, behind the sofa? Oh, that as well, yeah. yeah. You know, when she's just, you know, watching Classic Who with the other companions and stuff. She's really, really funny. Um, oh, she, she's brilliant! I yeah. love Jan- Janet Fielding. I was going to say they they bring out her old costume on the making of, don't they? And she's <laughs> like, she's ripping it off the rack, trying to trying it on, and I bet they're like, no, someone's paid that hundreds of pounds for that. She doesn't care. She's like, yeah, see if it still fits. And no, she's brilliant, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I I think it's a good introduction for Tegan. I think she, you're you're absolutely right. She definitely injects some, you know, if you were sort of for some people that perhaps weren't into the story as much, they might be nodding off. And she would instantly wake you up in any scene that she's in. Because that bit where she comes out and shouts at the Doctor and Adric, I demand to speak to the so-and-so of this ship. And the Doctor's sort of all like, oh, my God. you know, Yeah, she, she's great. I think it's a good, fun story for her. 
I agree with you about Nissa. Um, I like Nissa, but you're right. She should have. We should have had a bit more of her kicking off. You know, the, the, there was definitely some scenes that we could have had between her and the master, which could have been more dramatic than her having a brake slip put on to, to control her mind. That that does seem weak. I I, I will admit that. Mm, yeah, we definitely right. could have had more between between yeah. those two. Yeah, but then again, at the same time, you couldn't have two very fiery companions no, like that. No, that's true. Because that yeah. would have just competed with each other. So, yeah. So yeah, I mean, this story, and as we go into Davison's era, the the opposites, if you like, of Tegan and Nissa are okay because they are opposite and it works, which mm. is weird because Adric, Matthew Waterhouse, let's get on to him. Yes. He... Uh, <laughs> it's a really funny scene, isn't he, when he shouts back at the Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> you know when he shouts back you know when they're doing the calculations and stuff and uh, the doctor yells at him and Adric's like sorry and the doctor's <laughs> like there's no need to shout <laughs> yeah I um, tell you what I think those two are great together in this and I I think a lot of it's unintentional um, yeah. I, I think there's genuine frustration from Matthew uh, with Tom in the scene and vice versa um, but it's, it's funny, isn't it? There, there, there's a real tetchiness between the two, but I think it's great, you know. Yeah, and the, the doctor, <laughs> doctor, and sort of um, pupil relationship they've got going on, I think is really good. Yeah, but the the thing with Matthew Waterhouse is that I, I think sometimes he tries to flip between those two personality types in mm. certain stories. Like on some of them, he tries to be the kind of cool kid, you know. He's got the hair, he's got the the star badge, you know, he's the cool, you know, the clever little dude in the TARDIS and stuff. And then at other times, I think he tries to be more like Tegan in a way where he, he, he tries to shout a little bit, he tries to push back, but inevitably he just gets, you know, slapped back down. You know, the universe just puts him back in order immediately yeah. and slaps him back down. So it's it's interesting with Matthew because you can see exactly what he was trying to do. He was trying to be... And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a scene where him and Nissa, Nissa's like, Adric, where are you going? And he, he he's off on Logopolis and he's like, the master's out there somewhere. And she's like, well, I'll come with you. And he's like, no. You know, he sticks his finger up. He's like, this could be very dangerous. So <laughs> there are scenes like that where he tries to put his foot down. And I guess back then in the 80s, it was kind of perceived as like the male's job to go and do the dangerous stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tries to sort of, act on that i guess not act as in acting but act on that from a male female perspective yeah and then other times yeah he's a bit quiet so but in this story he's not too bad we don't have any of that kind of, apart from the stealing the bike and falling off stuff you know uh, <laughs> we don't have any of that typical adric nonsense i guess which uh, I, I you know i think it's one of his best stories mm. I, I i think he's really good i think um yeah i think in terms of his performance and and the stuff he gets to do, I think it's probably Matthew's best, one of his best stories. Because I, I love all the stuff with him and the Doctor at the start, where they're sort of working together, and the Doctor is so tetchy with him. But he is giving a bit, he is giving as good as he gets in certain scenes. And I was like, I'm like, yeah, go, go, Andrick. Um, so, yeah, I think he gets some good stuff to do. You really feel that Matthew has found his confidence in terms of, <laughs> like, like he feels like he's become very at home uh on the TARDIS set you know he's you know to to actually even to sort of deliver those lines to Tom in the way that he does I think he's definitely found a bit of a bit of a backbone 
Yes. Uh, he's probably yeah. sort of sussed things out now. He's got to know Tom a little bit. Um, he definitely seems more assured. Almost a little bit like uh, you can sort of sense that he now feels that these new people coming aboard, he's going to, you know how he's sort of famously tries to show the new actors the ropes. You do kind of get the feeling that Matthew already thinks he's like, you know, you're the new kids on the block. I'll show you how this is done, guys. You know what I mean? He's he's very sort of assertive in his scenes, isn't he? And you can sort of almost imagine him turn to Sarah, say, "Right, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just you know gonna do this scene like this, and I'll be telling you how to do it." And I don't know, but yeah, he definitely seems more confident. I would yeah, say, yeah, and it, it's good. It's a good story for Adric, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like him in it. I like him and Tom. I think that they're good together. Yeah, agreed. Before we get on to Tom in a little bit more detail, because it is his. Um, Closing story, of course. What about some of the supporting cast members then? So John Fraser as the monitor, the leader of the Logopolites or whatever you want to call I just see Noel Edmonds every time. (laughs) I can't get away from it. I'm really sorry. I just always think he looks like Noel Edmonds. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I don't mean to be disrespectful because um, uh, John Fraser, I think, passed away this year, didn't he? Or quite recently. Last year, Um, yeah. I like the monitor. I don't say about the name as well. The monitor, just great. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting, and I, I like the fact that when him and Adric are going around trying to work out where the sums have gone wrong, the monitor tells Adric off for not concentrating. He's like, "No, it's nine, not seven. And Adric's like, "Sorry." Yeah. And he's like, and then, but then it turns out that Adric was right, and the monitor's wrong. He's like, "Oh, I'm sorry about that." Um, so I, I, I don't know. I think he's quite. A, a good character uh, i quite like it and he's got this weird sweatshop going on at least that's what isn't that what tegan calls <laughs> tegan it tegan calls it yeah see she even gets a bit fiery about that she's like what's this blimmin sweatshop you got going on here it's like what <laughs> you know so yeah. that's quite un- unusual but yeah i i like the monitor I, like, I thought john fraser was good yeah yeah he's okay john fraser actually isn't he? he's got that very um as you would expect a kind of very calm uh he he knows the weight of what's at stake doesn't he so he's at first he's very calm he's very welcome to logopolis you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's a doctor yeah hey doctor you know his little fist bump and yeah, everything's cool and then later on you can see that he knows what's happening he can see the he knows that without logopolis which is an interesting story concept in itself that without logopolis the universe starts to deteriorate and mm. literally die in front of your eyes that entropy and stuff so you yeah. can see that you can see that he acts that really well. That switch between being very, very calm, everything's nice on Nogopolis, everyone's doing their maths, everything's cool, and then at the, towards the end, he's like, "All right, there isn't any more left to just to throw at the fan. The fan is now just made of of you know the brown stuff." And, and his exit is pretty cool as well. The way that they use the oh, yeah. Uh, like, to- yeah, they sort of. It looks like it's some kind of weird blue screen CSO thing, the way they've sort of taken bits of him out and then he fades away. and It's kind of cool. But he's he's an all right character, though, the Monitor. He's, um, yeah. Yeah, he's pretty I get cool. The feeling, yeah, I was going to say, I get the feeling that, you know, I like this fact that it seems like the doc, him and the Doctor have known each other for years. They seem like old friends, don't they, even though we've never met him before. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like that. It's like, oh, Doctor, you're back. You know, nice to see you again. Where have you been? Um and normally, when we a lot of time when we get worlds created in Doctor Who, uh, like a place like the Gopolis, and you get to meet a new race, in classic Who, it can I can often find that quite boring. 
I don't know. You know what I mean? Quite often you get introduced to a sort of a, a planet or a race and you get these really rubbish um, uh, sort of part-time actors that are just, you know, so boring to watch. Mm-hmm. But I, I like, because Legopolis is sort of, um, it feels fully formed. So it's holding, it's holding the universe together and they're all doing these calculations and they all whisper and talk. It's got a bit, it's quite, I find it more interesting than perhaps some of the other planets we've visited in classic who because it seems to have a purpose and um the, the you know like the monitors there's a bit more to him he's quite an interesting character the fact yeah. that doctors knows him and stuff like that so oh, yeah yeah a bit more substance to it rather yes. than just here's a planet of people that yeah here's a planet of like war rebels or, yeah, yeah 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 no i read you dude yeah so i like all that stuff yeah um what about anthony ainley then in, in this because he's uh, oh. like we said in the keeper oh. of track and you oh. know at the end where he takes over Seamus's body it's uh he, he's just straight away into the character that we know oh, yes. of his version of the master which is straight away and then throughout this story he's very very consistent isn't he he's got that real evil uh streak to him even in his face even when he's not talking he's just got that look about him like this guy is up to no good you don't even have to know who he is or what he's about just visually They've nailed that um, that uh, up to no good scoundrel would happily just kill everybody in a heartbeat sort of look about him. Um, so I know you prefer um, Delgado. Delgado's master. Sorry, yeah, I know you prefer him, but there is a, and I think I do as well. I think I prefer Delgado, but there is something very cool about Anthony Ainley, and he's really, really good in um, uh, McCoy's last story survival yeah he's very very Mm. good in that but there is there is a you can see why they cast him as the master he has got that really good look hasn't he i i think he's great in it i mean yeah degrado i think will always be my favorite master but um i grew up with you know this is the master i grew up with so he's like my master if you like i i I think amy and the amy does a great job um and i think he injects a lot of much needed enthusiasm in it. This again, like you said about Tegan, this story would be a lot worse off. I think if you didn't have him in it, cause he's really going for it. And he seems to be having a ball playing the master, doesn't he? he? You can tell he is loving every minute that he's on screen. He is just, yeah, great in it. He may be slightly more pantomime in performance than Delgado, but I think he, it's just a different take. And I, I really like it. So I, I think he's great in it. I think, the scenes of him and Tom, they're so opposite. Like Ant, Ant is so full of mischievous glee, and he's you know he's really into it. And Tom is so subdued. Like when they have to do the handshake, and the Doctor's really like peeved off about it. Oh, one last chance, then let's do it. And <laughs> there's such a contrast between the two actors and two characters. But yeah, I'm not saying Ainley outshines Tom, but he's he's really sort of lifts the story. I think he's really good in it. Yeah, you're right. He, he does just, have a bit of pantomime-ish. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, a little yeah. bit, yeah. More, certainly more than, than Delgado. I think Delgado's master, he's more of a... You could imagine him as a James Bond villain, Delgado. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's got that look about him where I think some of the ladies might like him, but mm. at the same time, he's got that... He's suave. Yeah, suaveness to him, you know, a bit of a don. He looks like... But he's got like a bit of a a bad streak to him like he's you, just by the look of him you can tell that he's probably a bad guy but i mm. think you know 
probably go down well with the ladies. Whereas Delgado, I don't think not to say any, not take anything away from Anthony Ainley. You know, he's a good-looking guy, but he doesn't have that sort of same vibe about him. You can just there's no fifty-fifty split or whatever it is. He's just pure hundred percent bad dude. Like he's the you can tell he's the baddie straight away. Yeah, he's more manic, isn't he, Anthony Ainley? I think you know, like when he's pressing the buttons uh, to the coordinates, he really sort of does it in this manic way. And yeah, he hasn't quite got the suaveness as Delgado, but what Anthony Ainley has got is that he—you do get the feeling that he's dangerous. Yes. So he might yep. come across as a bit pantomime villain at times, but he also is quite prepared to just shrink or kill anybody, even for no reason. Like, he, you know, he's he's quite a dangerous guy to be around. Like, he was going to shoot that poor... You know, the chap in the chair that's listening to the headphones and, you know, he's no danger to anybody. He just wants to wipe him out for the fun of it, for target practice. So <laughs> there is a dangerous edge to Anthony Ainley's master, which um, shouldn't yeah. be overlooked. So, yeah, but I think he's great in it. Really good performance from him. Yeah, he's Just cool. looks like yeah. he's having so much fun. Yeah. Then we had a very small performance at the beginning from Tom Georgeson, the the detective inspector, the one that's quizzing the doctor on. Yeah, yeah. he's a bit rubbish, I think. And oh, they're all, they're all rubbish, mate. At the Not the the actors, but the, you know, as policemen. <laughs> he's such a well-known actor. I mean, he's done so much work and he's given a really, well, not, not a very good performance, really. You know, like him and Tom look like they're having a bit of a laugh in, mm. the, in their scene, don't they? It's like, is this your sports car, sir? No. Like the way the lines are delivered are so odd in that scene yeah it's almost like it's um it's like a dixon a dot green kind of rule book for how to write yeah. policemen it, it's very much that illu, 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 like what's yes, going on here yes, then sort that's of thing. it yeah and uh caricature policeman yeah. yeah and when the when the doctor and adric um after the distraction they go back into the tardis and then bugger off he's not really got any haste about him you know but these oh. are potentially two criminals and he's just sort of casually knocking on the door and looking around to the other policeman, sort of rolling his eyes like, oh, yeah, be good to get back to the station, won't it, and have a cup of tea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then they open the door, like you said, and we see the inside of an actual old school police box. And uh, and then that's it. They just sort of look at each other with this confused look, like what's just happened? We don't know. And then that's it. So he's not. I wouldn't say it's his best performance because he went on to do tons of TV loads, stuff. Yeah. Like all of the popular things in the UK throughout the nineties. And like in the nineties, he really pushed the boat out and you can tell that he was a hardworking actor because I don't know, like uh, between the lines, fierce creatures, um, Hetty Wainthrop, silent witness, a touch of frost foils, war, uh, Agatha Christie's Pyro, um, Heartbeat, Midsummer Murders, oh. um, Angel, The Royal, Ashes to Ashes, Shameless. The list goes on and on. He's done so many things, he's done and he's loads. Yeah. and he's still with us. Bless him. He's eighty three. Still, you know, he doesn't act anymore, but he's still with us. But I don't know. This weird little performance of his is just you wouldn't hire him <laughs> based on this on this performance. It's weird, but nonetheless, uh, I guess it's a talking point. You know, they could have hired any just you know any extra just to play that part, I suppose, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think I blame Tom a little bit for that, his performance. No, well, I no, don't blame Tom, but Tom's really odd in the scenes with him. And I just, it almost feels like, I don't know, I don't know if they were, I'm just presuming here, but it feels to me like they were sort of lads on set, having a bit of like, oh, come on, Tom, right, let's go for a take. And they just don't seem to be taking the scene seriously, um, that bit. 
And Tom, the way Tom delivers his lines is, is strange yeah, in that scene. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he just doesn't really jump off the screen to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I read you. Um, Delore Whitman, sorry, Delore Whitesman, Aunt Vanessa, small part, but pretty oh, funny. Oh, she's cool, yeah. isn't she? See, I love it when you get a, a, an actor like that that just gets a small part, but they really, they really make an impression. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, They're cool, I, yeah. I love Aunt Vanessa, and she's only in episode one, I think, before she gets shrunk. But you instantly get her character, um, and it's a, just a really fun performance, I think. So, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so the sort of disapproving aunt she's like what do you want to you and your you and your airplanes sort of thing and why are you going off to do this rubbish and yeah yeah she is cool yeah she's strong isn't she uh, can yeah. i just say what i remember as well when her and tegan get in the car at the beginning that car is bashed <laughs> up to, that's i mean where did they find tegan's car it looks like it's been got out of a sort of a crusher in a, in a scrapyard <laughs> and bought for like 50 pounds or so it's got a great big dent in the door it, it looks wrecked you can tell that the uh no wonder the tire's blown yeah i was gonna say you can t- you can see exactly why it broke down it's a right yeah. mess even the spare tire is flat it's one of those cars isn't it it's an absolute state yeah so i don't want to talk about peter davison because there's nothing to say is there he's just got that uh, strange kind of grin <laughs> as he's regenerated into the into his incarnation. He does this thing, doesn't he, where he not before he leans up on his elbows, but just when he's laying down still, and yeah. the the image of the watcher fades, and it's his face. He does this weird kind of thing, doesn't he, where he's he's still looking up at the I, I assume the lights of the studio, but he's just uh, looking up into the sky, and he just does this this kind of weird half mouth sort of grin thing, and then he looks up and. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a regeneration that we've seen in Classic Hugh up to that point because normally the Doctor's all over the place. He's unconscious for a while, isn't he? And he's a bit sort of weird. And then they play on that later on in Modern Who where the Doctor's just really out of it and disorientated and stuff. But in this one, he just sort of, I don't know, just sort of sits up and he's like, right then. Look on his face. He's like, I know you lot already because I've been the Watcher. So, <laughs> yeah. hello. <laughs> It is a bit straight. I mean, I again watching the um, behind the scenes. So you know, like back in these days, ten o'clock lights were switched off, <laughs> and that's it. So you, they've got the counter clock at the bottom, showing you the time, and it's ten to ten when they're trying to get all this stuff filmed, and it's been a nightmare. So it's uh, I think it's nine fifty one or something like that. The clock says, Davison is thrown onto that floor. In this, all the, but not even as the doctor, he's got all this white makeup on. So they've, so they're trying to do the transition scene. I just assumed that they'd mixed his face with the watcher. I didn't realize they'd actually painted his face white with all these veins and brushed his hair out to make him look like the watcher because you wouldn't even know that from watching it. I mean, so that there's all that. So they'd get a shot of him in all this white makeup and then, like, right, off you, thank you, Peter. Now go and get changed into the burgundy outfit. And you're like, blimmin' heck, it's like, Two minutes to ten. You know, this is how fine they're cutting getting this regeneration scene in the can because they, they would just turn the lights off back then. That was it, wasn't it? There was none of this, oh, we just need half an hour over time. You know, lights were off. And, and it's so close to the bone that he must have literally just sat on that mat, sat up, and they're like, thank you, right, everybody go home. And that was it. It was so close to the bone. That was um, it, yeah. This regeneration. But, yeah, it's all on the, you know, you can actually see the clock counting down, the pressure 
must have been immense. And I can just imagine Peter stood at the side watching all this, thinking, what the blimmin' heck have I got myself <laughs> into? Like, the tension in that room just yeah, doing that scene. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I assume it's the first scene he shot. It must have been. It was, But, yeah, yeah, yeah he must have been thinking. About it. He does say he did go to the bar with Tom before, you know, they started filming the scene. And uh, he said he, him and Tom were talking, but they couldn't hear each other because it was so noisy. And he, he's no idea what Tom was saying to him. <laughs> uh, and Tom, he said he might have been offered me advice. And Tom Baker was like, oh, I wouldn't have offered him advice. And, uh, you know, so I don't know. Who knows? But, um, it, yeah, if you just imagine all this stuff going on at the time, it must have been crazy. Yeah. But, dude. yeah, we don't, yeah. that's all we get to see of him, literally, is that him sitting up. Yeah. I'll read you, man. So we've gone through all of the cast. We're going to come on to Tom now, finally. Just yeah, spend Tom. a few minutes talking about Tom. Um, but before that, direction-wise, I'm ag- I agree with you on that. It's fairly, it's a, it's a fairly good one for direction. It's got a good combination of it. It's, it's static when it needs to be, but it's also got some other stuff going on, like some interesting angles, especially a bit on the boat that we spoke about and mm. some of the location stuff. It's all good. Um, music, though. So Paddy Kingsland's score is really cool for this one, isn't it? I love it. I absolutely love it. Even though it's um, got that sort of 70s wacka wacka guitar, which can sometimes, when we watch programmes with it now, come across as a bit cheesy. So I think it's brilliant. I absolutely love the score to this. Um, and I think it really adds to some of the tension in it as well. Like with the Watcher, you know, you said about the Watcher theme. Mm-hmm. That, that's beautiful. It adds that sort of mystery to who is this guy. I absolutely love the music in it. I think Paddy Kingston's score is brilliant absolutely brilliant yeah no agreed it does add some tension that kind of mm. um sort of 70s guitar wild pedal <laughs> sort of thing yeah <laughs> yeah and the direction's yeah. good peter grim wade um yeah on the whole very good he's got some sweeping shots doesn't he like the regeneration also there's a shot from the tardis roof down to the doctor the master shaking hands and like I said, filming from inside the TARDIS when Tegan and that coming in, I feel like Peter's tried a few things and it, for me it makes it more interesting to watch. Uh, the only thing I would say is a very strange shot of Adric's behind at one <laughs> scene. I'm not quite sure why that, what that was about, but no, overall the gen, the direction's pretty good, I think. Yeah, some interesting shots within the TARDIS set as well. Like You can see that they've put the camera up really high on mm. some of them and it's pointing almost almost vertically down on top of them at some points and the yeah. whole recursive loop thing, you know, as they're going in and out of the other TARDISes and it's the lights are getting dimmer and dimmer and stuff. It's all really nicely done that way. And it when is, Tegan's yeah. legging around and she's stuck in a maze, it feels like, and you can hear the cloister bell every now and then, can't you just, you know, and the doctor's worried, the poor old doctor, like, let's get on to Tom because. Yes, let's go on to Tom. Um, he must've just, because in the previous one, <laughs> in uh, the keeper of Traken at the very beginning, the, the keeper says to him, want you to help, but just want to let you know, this is potentially fatal for you. So that's the doctor's like, oh, okay, it doesn't sound good. And then in this one, the watcher's like, you're going to die pretty soon, mate. We assume that's what he said to the doctor. Anyway, we don't know that it's not said, but because the doctor just looks really shocked and, uh, very down about what he's just heard from the watcher so we can only assume that the watcher has said something along the lines of i'm your future self in a weird way just want to let you know that i'm around because i've saved your future companion nissa i've brought her to legopolis and you're about to pop your clogs pretty soon but don't worry because i'm going to be your next 
incarnation you'll regenerate into me I, that's roughly how that would have gone i assume because uh when the doctor goes up on the bridge to talk to the watcher adric's like well, what was he all about then and to, to, uh, the way that tom acts that is really well done he's got that kind of he knows his fate basically he knows what's coming but obviously doesn't want to say that outright to adric um so tom i think for me dude i think he's he is good in this he has got that uh very there is a real sense of you know something bad is round the corner he he plays yeah, that yeah. very well that sort of sense of upcoming something is going to happen you know we even if you were watching this fresh in the 80s and you maybe weren't aware that this was tom's last story because this wasn't always advertised like it is nowadays mm. um you might not have known this was tom's last one but even so you did get that feeling that something was coming and tom plays that really well but yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan of like middle Tom Baker's era, beginning to middle as we get towards the end of it. Uh, I still love Tom. Don't get me wrong. I still like his Doctor and stuff, but yeah, just not quite got that aura about him as some of the previous stories up to this point for me. But still okay, still okay. I get yeah. I I, I mean I, I I love Tom in this, but. You can tell, uh, he says in the making of that, you know, he's, he felt like his spark had gone and it was time for him to go. But you can also tell that he didn't want to go. So I, fe- I feel like you can really feel the inner conflict in Tom. Uh, more than, because if you think about any other regeneration, this one to me, and it's just because we know of Tom's frame of mind and the behind the scenes, but this one feels quite personal. You feel mm. like Tom is really struggling to let go. Uh, you know, like the Doctor would be in real life. So sort of reality and, and drama blur a bit, I think, with this regeneration. Like with Pertwee, you watch his regeneration, it's like Pertwee left, he went on to do Wurzel, and he didn't seem to, you know, that he just moved on and he was happy about it. Tennant decided to leave when he felt it was time to go, he got plenty of work, and he was happy about it. With Tom, he's going through a bit of a bad patch in his you know, real life. He's not very been very well. It's all this stuff with Lala. He's decided to leave the show that he's been doing for seven years. He's become very territorial over it to the point of becoming difficult to work with. He thinks he, he actually says, you know, I could have written my own lines better than anyone. He, he knows the character doctor inside out because he's almost become the doctor and the doctor has become Tom. You know, the, the line has become blurred. So to, to me, this regeneration, when I watch it hits home, because it feels much more personal and real than a lot of them mm-hmm. because of, I know Tom's frame of mind. So when I see him lying there saying, you know, the moment's been prepared for, there is a conviction and frailty to Tom's delivery that you feel, I feel something, you know, I really feel sort of quite moved by it. So it, although I, I totally get what you were saying about the regeneration and uh, maybe it could have been more dramatic. I think because it's so personal, it really hits home with me. I, I, you know, I just could sense Tom really not wanting to let go. You know, mm-hmm. he feels like yeah. it's time for him to go, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't yeah, want you. to go. You yeah. know, and he didn't go to the. They said, you know, normally, I think they had a bit of a leaving do. And Tom would normally always go for a drink after they'd finished a rap on an episode, and then he didn't go. He said it was uh, John Overton. said we were all there after Tom's last scene, which I don't know what Tom's last scene was. I don't think it was this. I don't know what Tom's last scene was. Even the producer can't remember. But whatever it was, 
that he filmed last, Tom just went home or, or went off because I don't think he even had a home at this point, but he went off and they didn't go and sort of socialise the drink because JNT says because he just couldn't face the sort of goodbyes and the, and the reality of that he was going to have to do something else now, you know, that he was going to have to find a new home. Um, and Tom actually admits that he was, um, he loved being in the studio, even though he was, you know, a bit tetchy and had issues. He would just go and sleep in the BBC uh, some nights because he just didn't want to be anywhere else. He just would like go and say to security guard, oh, I'm just going to pop up and sleep on one of the mattresses we use for sort of stunt people. And he would just go and sleep in the BBC. So, he's, you know, he's so attached to this place. It has become a, a home. And I think it was probably very difficult for him to leave. But, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I still think his performance is good. If I had to be critical, he does throw away a lot of, you know, the beginning when he's talking to Adric and he's, he's giving some exposition. I notice he really says the lines quickly, like he just wants to get them out. Oh, so right. some, of, some yeah, of Tom's yeah. delivery in this feels like he's not really into the script mm-hmm. he just wants to get those lines said um that's the only sort of criticism i would say about tom but i still think he's great in it no i, I understand yeah i get that dude yeah but you just feel that it's yeah he's, he's definitely he's definitely um uh, feeling a bit melancholy is that the word melancholy yeah he's feeling a bit down because it must be difficult Subdued. for him yeah because like you just said i'm not going to repeat that but he must have been very comfortable at this point. So right up until the bit where he had said to John Nathan Turner, yes, I'm going to go. And this will be my last story, I guess. But before that conversation had happened, if you think about, he's he was probably, if you take away his personal problems on and off set with Lala aside, he's probably mm. just feeling really comfortable. Like he's in a, at this point, a very popular TV show in that genre anyway. And, uh, kind of got his own way a lot yeah you know and there's a bit of fame that comes with that and and all that stuff so he probably felt like it was it was a, a i don't know whether he wanted to go on and do more more years and stuff or whether he, he felt pressured to go because I, I know that john nathan turner there is a there is an interview somewhere isn't there where he, he does say like it, it it's sad that somebody like tom goes because he was so popular as the doctor and it does the show does very well because of that obviously but at the same time he's really difficult to work with mm. a lot of the time so from a tv making behind the scenes point of view a lot of people were probably like thank god for that like you know we can because davison was probably a teddy bear in comparison oh, yeah. to work you so- know yeah. Sarah Sutton and Janet Fielding said that the atmosphere changed like that. Yeah. When yeah. Peter stepped aboard, he was so, because he's the new kid on the block, he was so easygoing. It was just, you know, such a big change. Um, exactly, yeah. The atmosphere really lifted uh, in terms of the tension. And, um, you know, you can't blame JNT for wanting to sort of have a new doctor and his own doctor in a way. Uh, really. Yeah. But so because of that, there's, like you said, it pr- it probably comes across as more personal because Tom comes with a lot of baggage in that respect, you know? So yeah, dude, I think, yeah, he is good. Don't get me wrong. He's still great. Whichever way you slice it, he's still great as the doctor. He is more subdued though. I think, I think you nailed it, mate. Really nailed it because from a character point of view, he knows his fate because he's been told by the watcher, presumably. And Mm. then from a personal point of view, 
from Tom's, you know, his life at that point, it's probably not going too well. He's lost his missus. He's about to lose his most famous role, whether he knew that at the time, yes or no. <laughs> you know, so it is more personal, sure. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I'm just, and just before we move off that, actually, I don't think it just, I think him and Lala just got married, but it didn't last long, but um, still a lot of tension. But no, I was just going to say, just to sort of put yourself in that, that position as well. So Tom, I think, was 47 or something when he filmed this. I'm not sure, but but just put yourself in that position. You're on the floor, leaving the show that you, basically you've taken over. I mean, he was Doctor Who. There's no two ways about it. He was the Doctor, you know. He, he'd been the past seven years. If you said to anybody during those that time, Tom Baker was Doctor Who. Um, but just imagine lying there and you're filming this scene you know this is it and you look up and you see this young handsome man <laughs> about to step into your shoes that's gotta hurt i mean you to anybody to to look up and see a younger person coming in to take over that is gonna hurt not you know not including all the other stuff that would have been going on in his mind about what not wanting to sort of leave the role but just imagine that just imagine lying there looking up seeing peter thinking you know i'm an, it, it would just make you feel like oh i'm just a it's going to go and throw myself on the scrap heap now. I'm done. You yeah, know, dude. it, it yeah, must totally. be, yeah. yeah, anybody's going to feel like that, aren't they? Yeah, and we, we had that, we, we had the, those thoughts and what Hartnell had said to people around him at the time. We yeah. had that dramatised very nicely at the end of An Adventure in Space and Time where mm. Pat Troughton turns up on set for the first time and Hartnell's very much, he, he was, for obvious reasons, he was the Doctor up until that point, and then you got this new chap that steps on board, and Hartnell didn't really want to go, did he? And no. So we have that dramatised really nicely. So in a weird way, it was kind of history repeating itself. You had Tom that, yeah, probably was a small part of him was like, yeah, I'm done with this because it can't be a nice atmosphere for me and any everybody else just for me to be grumpy all day and shouting mm. at people. But at the same time, like we've just discussed, he is the Doctor. He is Doctor Who, definitely, and it's his show. And then you got this new chap who's young, you know, like you said, very handsome. At the, <laughs> and then he's just expected to pack his stuff and see you later. Yeah. So which, yeah. I do feel for him, definitely, definitely. At that moment in his life, anyway, I do feel for him because it just wasn't. And like you said, his marriage to Lala Ward was what a matter of weeks, months. I can't remember. Yeah, I think yeah. he got married just before they started filming Legopolis. I think. Um, and then, yeah, I think it lasted like eight or nine months, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, there Tom. we go. But there we go. Let's not, let's not finish on a downer in terms of, because we have got more Tom to review. This isn't yes. our, last, our last Tom Baker story. We've got uh, about 10, nine or 10 other stories of his run to review. So we've got some crackers to review. But there is a little bit of, uh, there is a little bit of sadness that comes with his ending, his regeneration, because it's a long old run. It's a long old run of stories and uh, everyone loves tom regardless of how you feel about some of his stories we all love tom so he's a, i mean he's a very popular doctor and yeah he i think will always be the doctor to a lot of people he's the definitive doctor isn't he probably the most iconic you know in his performance mm. the scarf the look canine everything i think he's will always be one of the most iconic doctors so it's uh yeah he, he had a good run. He's got, he's got some fantastic stories mm. Yeah, agreed, you know, over those seven yep. years. Yeah. yeah, you make a good point. Whenever 
companies start to do merchandise for Doctor Who, anything to do with the classic era, it's always Tom's Doctor that gets the first yep. run of things and stuff. So yeah, I read you, man. Mm. Okie dokie. Anything else on Logopolis, dude, before we wrap up and put a score on this? Uh, no, don't think so. No. Righto. It's you to go first, dude. Right. Got? I mean, I do love this and I'd love to give it a 10, but I've got to put my reviewer's head on like old Wurzel. <laughs> and uh, I, and I, I've got to, you know, take on board some of the things that don't work in it. So I'm going to score it an 8.5. Okay, um, that's a good but, score. But I do it. love it. In my heart, it's a 10. I absolutely love this story. But <laughs> um, from a review point of view, there are things that don't don't add up at all. Um, a lot of this, you know, the narrative and that is, is a bit crazy. So it's an 8.5. Okay, I keep for me it's going to be a seven. A seven. A seven, right. yeah. So a reasonable score there. I would like you, mate. Um I would I would love to score this higher. But it's just yeah. Oh, I hate saying it, but it's just a real missed opportunity for me, dude, for for Tom's out uh, exit story. It could have been a much more higher charged uh you know, more interesting exit for like we were saying, arguably the the most the definitive Doctor of the classic years. So, um, and I appreciate that it's a cool moment in Doctor Who history as well, as we were saying the the personal side of things for Tom and the regeneration and stuff. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. Do we score it when we do scores? Do we score it on how good we think it is or how much we enjoy it? I know that does that make sense because if my enjoyment level for this is a ten, I love it. I, I, do, I don't know. I can't explain it. I just love this story and it's a 10. But in terms of, I don't know, like a review stance, do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's I'm really conflicted because it's, I know it's not a 10 out of 10 story, you know, but I do love it. It's one of my favorite Doctor Who stories. Yeah. I mean, but, I think sometimes they're one in the same thing. Mm. Uh, but I think from, you know, so I do separate myself from, from, from that for reviews. So. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose I've got to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but then again, you know, there's, there's no right or wrong to this stuff, dude. If you want to score it a ten, I'll change it. No, no, no. It's it's that's eight point five is my review score, but right. I'm just it is one yeah. of my it is one of my favourite stories. I love it. I really do. Yeah. Right then, so that's an eight point five from him and a seven from me. We had uh, half a dozen audio reviews in, so let's rattle through these. This first up is Mr. Neil Campbell. What about you fellas? Sorry I was late to the party on tracking last week. I'd have given it an 8.5 out of 10. And with its ending, it ties in nicely with Legopolis, which is a, a story that I've always really enjoyed. I know it's often seen as being hit and miss, but I think it works. It is a very sort of dark and ominous feeling to it. And that's the way it should be because it's Tom Baker's final story. And the fourth Doctor, you know, has has saw the Watcher across the road and stuff, and he knows what's happening, he knows it's coming, so it should be really ominous, and I feel it in David Tennant's era, with the end of time, to sort of touch on that as well. You know, with the wee things like the cloister bell and stuff, which was introduced in Legopolis, I like the combination of the fourth Doctor and Adric, I think it works. Anthony Ainley's brilliant as the master in this, he's really, really menacing. Tegan was a good introduction. The reintroduction of Nyssa was also decent as well, albeit probably wasn't necessary. Um, but I also really like the soundtrack on the Copolis. Like I said, it's ominous, but distinct. And the regeneration scene for me, you know, with the flashbacks of all the companions is brilliant. It's the best regeneration scene from the classic series. I will say um, the season 18 Blu-ray box set 
done Legopolis a world of good, you know, with this sort of special effects. So all in, I'm going to give this 8.5 out of 10. Cheers. 8.5, yeah. It's a respectable score, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 8.5, nice one. Yeah, and it does have that ominous feeling to it, doesn't it? For, mm. for have you watched it with one. the new effects? Yes, yeah. Yeah, they're not bad, actually. Yeah, I'm not a big fan when they do those new effects, but they're pretty good in Legopolis, I have to say. Yeah, they're not too bad. Especially the shrinking TARDIS looks better. Mm. I love mm. that small TARDIS prop, by the way. I'd love to have oh, that. Oh, I want it, yeah. yeah. I know. Love that. Yeah, thank you very much, Neil. Uh, moving on, this is Sammy from Down Under. Gary and Adam, Sammy Satine here. So, Legopolis, it's the end, but the moment has been prepared for. Tom Baker really is amazing as the Doctor. I love his alien qualities and his bonding with Adric in this is very good. I love how he wants to measure a normal police box as part of his fixing the chameleon circuit and the service the TARDIS needs to keep going. I don't fully understand how Legopolis is a planet keeps the universe together. I feel like I missed something. Anthony only is good. Not much time to explore the character's emotions about Nyssa losing her father to the Master, Tegan's aren't getting killed by the Master, etc. I feel like I need to watch this again to understand the Legopolis bit of the plot. I give it 8 watches out of 10. See ya. Sammy eight. with an eight. Yeah. Eight. It does take a couple of watches, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not one of the most straightforward things. Mind you, it's not as uh, it's not as confusing as um as some of the key to time stuff that we watched. Uh, mm. I would say. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. I don't know. Well, the only confusing bit really is the watcher, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um but yeah, no, I totally understand Sammy. And an, an eight. Not too bad, school. Not too bad. Thank you very much, Sammy. Moving on, this is Mr. Martin Arnold. I went to do this review, and now I can't get out of the room. I can't find my way out. I keep coming back in, and I keep hearing this weird laughter. What's going on? Anyway, while I'm here, Legopolis is really good. Um, it, it's, it works because it's earned. You just know that something important is happening, you know, and that's what the Watcher symbolises. He's not explained, but, you know, well, not until the end, even then. But it, it just works. Um, and I think even if you hadn't seen this before and didn't know what was happening, you would you would be like, this is this is ominous. And there's that undercurrent really underpins and sells this episode. The story is pretty straightforward. It ties in with the Space Trilogy, uh, albeit superficially. Um, the Master wants to destroy the universe. Um, there's this weird planet that can fix the TARDIS. I love that. I, I mean, that that's classic Doctor Who in a nutshell. You know, go to this weird, whimsical place, this magical you know, journey, that's what it's all about, I love it, um, and we meet Nissa again, she joins, spoke about her before, Tegan, uh, Tegan, she's an iconic companion, but she goes on to be written to just be contrarian, and it doesn't work, because the Doctor's just such a fantastic character that you want to spend time with him, you want to be in the TARDIS, and she doesn't, even though it's justified, because her aunt gets, you know, bizarrely murdered, and she gets stuck in the TARDIS. Um, so it's understandable, and Janet is great as, as, as Tegan, I think. It's a real shame that that's how it turned out, but I give this a 9 out of 10. Um, it's it's absolutely solid. Great episode, lovely ending sequence with the with the characters coming back and doing their thing. Well, not coming back, but you know what I mean. And it just feels earned, and that's what makes it work. 9 out of 10, see you later. A 9. A 9 from Martin, yeah. Yeah, undercurrent, that's a good word. That's a good way of describing it. It's got this really good undercurrent throughout yeah. isn't it this yeah. foreboding yeah yeah 
And uh, you're right as well, Martin. It does have that sort of quintessential classic Doctor Who feel about it. It's, um, mm. yeah. No, I read you on that one, dude. Thank you very much for your review. As always, a nine from Martin. Very cool. Moving on, this is TARDISNet66. If it wasn't of Time of the Doctor, I think Logopolis will be the worst pre-generation story. As a storyline, I think it's incredibly weak for Tom Baker's final. I mean, I just get the sense that the production team just wanted to get rid of Tom, and it feels very dismissive of him. I love his last scene and the inclusion of the Watcher, but must the rest of the story feels very dismissive. I think introducing Nis and Tegan as companions in the same story feels like a bad idea and makes the story feel very cluttered, and I really don't like Tegan's arrogant and moaning personality. She doesn't even react when the Doctor regenerates or when she enters the TARDIS. Her reactions are very unrealistic and unbelievable. With the exception of survival, I've never enjoyed Anthony Enley's master, as he just feels like a pantomime and comical parody of Roger Delgado's master, and he doesn't fit well with the fourth Doctor. But until the last episode and a half, we're just having a meandering plot about the Doctor doing his daily chores, and Agopolis simply feels like the dullest planet in the entire universe, with a bunch of very boring mathematicians. I'll give it a 4.5 out of 10. Crikey. Crikey, the Gopolis of a boring planet. Crikey, Moses. I like it. Oh, maybe I just like peace and quiet. <laughs> a 4.5. Wowzers. Wow. Appreciate your score, though, dude. Mm. Yes, uh, nice one, yeah. Tardis Nets. Moving on, this is Seb Lane. Hello, Gary and Adam. I hope you're well. I'm going to get straight on with it this week. Um, Logopolis. So I think it's a pretty good story. However, it is just that it is a good story you know Tom Baker had been the doctor for all these years and he goes out on a little four-parter which isn't that impressive you compare it to the other finales in his seasons such as I don't know the invasion of time the seeds of doom uh, the Armageddon factor Sharda which would all be brilliant exits for him even though you know some of them aren't the best stories um, I just feel like Tom deserved a bit more and I know he was tired and you know, only so many episodes were commissioned. But I just feel like if I was the writer and I was deciding how the fourth Doctor would exit the show, I would do it a lot differently personally. But as a story, it's really good and enjoyable. And yeah, it's a bit of fun. So I'll give it that. <laughs> Bye for now. A bit of fun. <laughs> a bit of fun. Oh, Seb, I thought you'd like this one. Yeah, I thought Seb would like this one. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Strange, isn't it? How some stories are you think are going to be. We've had that loads of times on the show. We think certain stories are going to be belters and they're going to be nines and tens, but yeah, strange. Yeah. Did Seb score it? No. Just no, it was no a, score. Yeah, yeah. a bit of fun. Yeah. Okay, last one. <laughs> this is Joe Turner. I like Logopolis as an episode. It's such an interesting story and a great final episode for a wonderful doctor. The start really sets the tone of the episode wonderfully, and together with the sound of the cloister bell, we know all hell is about to break loose. It was cool seeing more of the TARDIS too. The episode does a fantastic job of building up the reveal of the Master, as in episodes 1 and 2, all you really get is the eerie atmospheric laugh of Anthony Ainley. Also, the setting of this episode constantly changes going from the TARDIS to the 1980s, then to Logopolis, and finally the satellite. And this keeps our attention. Furthermore, we are constantly intrigued into the mystery of the Watcher, and I love how he just continues to observe them, rather sinisterly, until it's finally revealed that he is a Doctor. Lastly, you can see the production team were desperate to let Tom go out rather heroically, and he did for the most part, stopping the Master and saving reality. However, 
One thing that does confuse me is that Tennant survived falling from a spaceship with only a few cuts and bruises in the end of time part two. Whereas Tom falls off a satellite and didn't. But anyway, all in all, I love how we get to see all of his companions and foes one last time during the regeneration scene. And what a fantastic last line. It's the end, but the moment has been prepared for. So overall, I'm going to give this episode an 8 out of 10. Thank you. An 8? An 8. Very good point about Tennant there. Oh, when yeah, he falls he smashes from the spaceship. through that window. And, yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah, and falls onto the rock-hard marble floor. Yeah, and yet... Yet Tom falls... I mean, it's not a small fall, though. It still falls mm-hmm. a fair whack, but falls onto nice padded grass. <laughs> yeah. Mind mm. you, his doctor was older than Tennant, I suppose. I'm, I'm going to put it down to that. Yeah. Uh, it's another good point, Joe. You hear the cloister <laughs> bell and you know all hell's about to break loose. <laughs> yeah, so thank you very much, guys, for your audio reviews. Uh, very much appreciated as always let's see what you guys are saying over on the socials over on twitter our writer jordan shortman said it's a brilliant story not least because it introduces my fave companion tegan but there is a genuine sense of the universe coming to an end thanks to the script and tom baker puts in a brilliant final performance even adric isn't too bad one (laughs) of the best regen stories thank you jordan doctor who home when i was six back in 2009 Back in 2009 when I was six. That's sickening. Oh, no. Terrible. Uh, I misread in Doctor Who Adventures that the fourth Doctor died falling over a radio in Logopolis. (laughs) (laughs) I was slightly disappointed when I saw how that wasn't the case. When I eventually saw it, cracking story, it hits more than it misses. Tom is great, 7.5. That wouldn't be a good way to go, would it? Tripping over a radio. radio. Brilliant. Rick Moran from the Doctor Who Appreciation Society says the success of Logopolis lies in that feeling you get. It's the end of the road. It has an atmosphere of doomed inevitability. Sarah Sutton is great as Nyssa, especially where she watches as her planet vanishes. And Ainley's master is shown here with real menace. Tom Baker, uh, Tom Baker's doctor shows us, shows us the audience just how scared he is of the master. And in turn, we feel that fear. A true classic 10 out of 10. 10 yeah go rick yeah Yeah. Uh, our other writer mark donaldson says near impenetrable guff what feels much like the 10th planet that the production team just wants shot of their difficult leading man tom tries his best and it's interesting to see him as doomy gloomy version of his doctor who's aware of his impending death i also quite like the relationship with adric as a scatty professor and smart ass pupil Tegan will get better, but the same cannot be said for Nyssa. It boggles my mind that the master murders Vanessa and all of Traken and everyone just shrugs it off. Yeah, it's almost like it was... No, actually, I nearly said something bad that I won't. (laughs) He says, wouldn't happen now, uh, but no score from Mark. I get the feeling he's not too too, uh, into Logopolis. No, no, he's not. Uh, All, All opinions are welcome here. Of course, yeah. Uh, Chippy T says, not often you see genuine fear in the Doctor's face, but we do here. The moment reminded me of Eccleston in Dalek. Brilliant. Great story and regen scene. Wanted to see more Doctor and Master confrontation, though. 8.5 giant satellite walks. (laughs) 8.5 walks, yeah. Tom Turlow says, I'm not sure it's really any good, but it's such a seminal moment in the history of the show, you can't help but be moved by it. Tom was such a dominant figure, his departure was inevitably going to be a really big deal. As a story, it falls victim to all the problems that marred the Bidmead era. In brackets, dullness, 
uh, cod science ill-thought-out ideas. But there's a nice tone to it. It feels like something big is going to happen and the watcher is a nice element, even if it doesn't make much sense. Uh, Tom's doctor is very much my doctor, so his end was always going to be sad. Legopolis, while not being a particularly good story, is a suitably fitting conclusion. Sadly, it was mostly downhill from here. Six out of ten from Tom Turner. Edward Galuli. This is an absolute classic. The mournful tone for Tom's departure is set by the music. It's also a good intro for Tegan. Nissa turning up halfway through is random, though. The final scene is iconic. Eight watches out of ten. And lastly, Lost on Gallifrey podcast. They say Logopolis has every right to be boring, and yet somehow it's enjoyable. Not a great story, but a confident one and one which gets the atmosphere of impending doom spot on. It gives our Tom one last great moment to go out on, one that is still sad, prepared for or not. Mm. Thank you very much, you guys, over on the Twitter. Now, Facebook, all of you guys went nuts with this one, and your reviews are really long, so I'm just going to give you the headlines, and if you guys want to read these reviews, then hop over to the Facebook page. Um, There's a link on the website to go and view those. But Jeff Waddle says... Yet more techno babble that you'd have to be a quantum physicist to understand. And yet another story with no fun or enjoyment whatsoever. Oh, oh yeah. Add to that the bizarre addition of The Watcher for absolutely no reason when we have a story that is not a fitting way for arguably the best and most iconic Doctor to go. Due to stories like this at the time, my interest in Doctor Who also waned as in quote unquote, it's just not fun anymore. And Jeff gives it a three out of ten. Oh, I've just put a hammer through your TV, Jeff. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, Jeff. Right. Joseph Howard says uh, it's a somber end to a doctor that had so much life to him. That regeneration scene will never get old. I really like the idea of the watcher and this mysterious being who follows the doctor every step of the way. Long review this one and ends up giving it an eight out of ten. Toby Coleman says it's the end but the moment has been prepared for Uh, well it was a good watch if anything having heard mixed reviews on the companions I was surprised to find them engaging Legopolis itself was interesting poor Tegan that was not the happiest way of joining the TARDIS my main problem is that I never felt the stakes but Tom's regen was a decent watch 7 out of 10 a long one from Charlie here so he basically says beautiful regen scene with beautiful music everything else has a pace of slower than a garden slug though Perhaps the slowest story in all of Doctor Who history, joined no. with the two Doctors. Have you seen Underworld? <laughs> as, a, as a region story, it's a bit underwhelming. Anyway, he goes on to give it a 5 out of 10. Okay. Uh, Aaron Ball says, I love the foreboding atmosphere. The Watcher brings great ideas to the plot, and the Master is brill when he is in it. Some filler, as expected, and Adric is good uh, in this story. He really has a respect for Tom, unlike Peter. Is that true? Mm. Mm, don't know. Uh, anyway, it goes on to give it. Uh, has a great respect for Tom, unlike Peter. Yeah, Peter's not a big fan of Tom. Yeah. Oh, sorry, in that respect, I thought you meant Matthew Waterhouse, respect for Peter Davison. Sorry. Yes. Um, yeah, he's not his biggest fan, is he? Uh, anyway, goes on to give it eight watch, uh, eight watches out of ten. Uh, and then lastly, Andrew Stewart, a really long review this one, but basically says it's a great story and a great send off for Tom. The master is here. Uh, thankfully, the master is in this and does more in this story than in the Keeper of Traken. Goes on to give it an 8.5 and takes Same 0.5 off for Tegan's awful fake crying. <laughs> there we go. There we are. And there we are. So thank you very much, guys. Uh, do you know what, dude? This story was a lot more mixed than what I thought it was going to be. 
for some mm. reason I had in my head this was going to be at least an eight out of ten for most people. But there we have it. There we go. I thought that yeah, I expected a couple of middle of the road, so I'm surprised at some of the low scores. But there you go. There we go. So that was Logopolis. Thank you very much for joining us. Next week, Bird. What are we on to for reviews? Yeah, so another, well, regen story, but the start of a new era for Matt Smith. So we'll be reviewing the 11th hour next week. The 11th hour. Yes. 11th hour, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. First time we heard that theme. Oh, the we classic. We all got sick of it. The modern classic, which is dun, I Am dun, the Doctor, dun, eh? Dun, 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 dun. Coolio. Right, on that, dude, on that note, dude, I think we're wrapped there for 3 What are we on this week? Is it 3 Yeah. We'll wrap there for 309. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming back and listening to us for another week. Uh, chatting all things Doctor Who and in this particular case we had not much news in a way to talk of but we have chatted at length about Logopolis and that brings an end to our Tom Baker month we've gone through all of the East Space trilogy which has been good and then we finished up with the Keeper of Trakan and then Logopolis for Tom's final run but like I said we have got more Tom to come so don't worry we've got a dozen or so stories of his left to do which is good next week as Adam said we're back to modern doctor who and it's the first story from matt smith the 11th hour so get your dvds blu-rays whatever watched because we'll be asking for your thoughts and reviews as always in the meantime we would love to have you as a follower on whatever podcast app you get your podcasts on just do a search of the big blue box or there's links on the website uh, make sure you you follow us so that way you don't miss a show when it lands every single friday and if your particular podcast app or service has the ability to leave a review that would be awesome if you could take a minute to do that because that helps us loads and loads so thank you very much to our uh, listeners that have left reviews so far they're all very lovely so thank you so much for that very much appreciated on the website which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk you can listen to all of our previous episodes on there for free and we also have links off to the social networks we're on those instagram twitter and facebook come and give us a like and a follow we chat doctor who throughout the week we have a free discord server as well links on the website takes 10 seconds to sign up to that loads of really cool doctor who fans over there just hanging out chatting all things doctor who which is really good and we're on youtube too uh, links on the website uh, we're doing live streams at the moment on a saturday morning so come and get involved over there too also, remember to check out my co-host channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. The Geek's Handbag, yeah. Go and have a look at my channel. Loads of vids on there. And I'm also on all the socials. Insta, Twitter, Facebook, the lot. But not TikTok. No TikTok <laughs> around is these parts. Is that still a thing? Yeah, not around here, mate. I'm not in that one. Not around here. Yeah, go and, check out, go and check out Adam's <laughs> channel. Loads of cool videos there. Get yourself a cup of tea. Get comfy. Loads of cool stuff. And as Adam said, he's on the socials too, under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. Until next week, take care of yourself. My name's McGarry. My name's Adam. And remember, everyone, everyone is, is a 